Hey guys, so good to be with you again this uh, weekend, have this conversation with you. Let me apologize right up front for my voice. Uh, obviously, I got around somebody that was carrying something, and so I got a pretty good dose of it. So we're going to do our best and see how we do. Uh, but I want you to grab your Bibles, Luke 1. Let me just read a couple verses and then pray with you, jump into our conversation. Luke 1, uh, we're in this Christmas series called A Weary World Rejoices. In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. I'd love for you to pray with me. <laughs> God, I'm so grateful for your love, so grateful for your mercy, for your faithfulness. God, I am grateful for this time of year. We can reflect on the incredible message of the story of Christmas. So I pray that you'd help us these next few moments to do that. Change our lives, change our hearts, change our minds. Father, we surrender ourselves to you. We want to be good listeners, but we don't just want to hear, we want to do. So God, show us what you want us to do in light of what you have to say today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, when I was a little boy <clears throat> growing up, I, like a lot of other little boys, wanted to be like my dad, you know? Now, that changed when I was in high school, in college, and, um, but when I was a little kid, I wanted to do what my dad wanted to do. In high school and college, I wanted to do anything but what my dad did, uh, which is ironic, I'm doing what my dad did. But as a little boy, <clears throat> I'd watch my dad, and I'd watch him preach, and I'd say, man, I want to do that. And I can remember on Sunday nights, we had a service, and uh, after that service, I'd watch him preach, and uh, after that service, I would go back to the nursery, and one of my friends, her name was Lisa, she'd go back there as well, and uh, I would reenact what my dad did. I can remember like it was yesterday, right? Uh, our congregation was these innocent, lifeless, emotionless dolls and, and, and animals that were in the nursery. We'd set them up all over the nursery, and then I would preach like my dad, right? And I'm going to tell you guys something. I want to brag, but I think I preached some of the most dynamite sermons ever to be recorded, right? I'd preach them every week. <clears throat> every week we'd go back there and I'd preach these sermons to these animals, the same dolls, the same animals. We'd get them out every week. I'd preach these dynamite sermons as a six-year-old, right? And then we'd put them back. And then the next week, do the same thing. Repeat, same thing next week. Repeat, same thing next week. Repeat to these lifeless, emotionless, inanimate objects. Now, here's what I didn't know. <clears throat> Little did I know that when I would eventually be preaching to real people that sometimes it would feel the exact same way. That, no offense, no offense. Uh, sometimes it would feel the same way preaching to real people, like it was rinse, repeat, do the same thing, and it felt like sometimes I was preaching to inanimate, emotionless objects. Because, no offense, because sometimes the people you preach to, sometimes the people who show up to church are weary. Uh, maybe you're weary. I don't know. Raise your hand. You weary? Uh, and sometimes the weariness of the duty of your spiritual journey can overtake the wonder of it. Uh, for some of us, <clears throat> we become very, very weary plugging away. Plugging away, worshiping God when God seems silent. Some of us were weary waiting for God to show up in some sort of way, or to at least to speak up. Maybe that's you. You've been serving God for a long time and you're just weary. You just want him to show up. You just want him to speak up. Uh, for some of us, we're weary for things to change in our world, and nothing seems to change. And, and what's really frustrating to some of us is nothing seems to change in our world, not just the world. 
In fact, for some of us, it can feel like our world or our life gets harder every day. Maybe that's you. Uh, anyone relate? <clears throat> Raise your hand. Can you relate with what I'm saying? Yeah. Some of you are weary. And sometimes the weariness just drains the life out of us, can leave us emotionless. Yet week after week, you show up. Maybe that's you. Maybe you show up online week after week. You sit up. You listen up. And then you buckle up. Go back into the meat grinder of your reality. Sometimes our spiritual journey, can we just be honest? Our spiritual journey can become weary. And we long for the thrill of hope. It can be weary waiting. It can be weary wondering and worrying. It can be weary. Some of you are worried. Some of you are waiting. Some of you wonder, is God ever going to show up in my life? And you're weary. You see, such is the case, then if that's you, such is the case with a couple I want to talk to you about today. They're an obscure couple in the Christmas story. Uh, They're probably not on your mantelpiece, but this obscure couple is a couple that we find in verses 5 and 6. It says this, in the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, there's the second one, <coughs> Elizabeth. So Zechariah and Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Here we meet two people that probably aren't on your mantelpiece, right? Yeah, you probably don't reenact this when you reenact the Christmas story, but they're part of the Christmas story. Zechariah and Elizabeth. Two people from the hill country. Zechariah was a priest. Elizabeth, she was a preacher's kid from a long line of preachers. And they are the picture of two dedicated and devoted people. They just kept going. But you need to know this about them. Like we can read that and we can just assume that they just kept going and that it was easy to keep going, but it wasn't easy for them to keep going. They kept going even though it wasn't easy for them to keep going. They kept going even though sometimes they would have been weary in their devotion day after day. They kept going, if I could just remind you, that they kept going in the middle of political and cultural chaos. Uh, It's amazing to me, you might not know this just reading these verses, that Zechariah ever wanted to be a priest. Zechariah probably was a little boy when Pompey, the Roman general, came marching into town, and he didn't just march into town to take over. He came marching into town. You know what he did? He, he marched right into the temple. He went right into the Holy of Holies, where no one went but the high priest. He went right in there, as if to say, where's God? My God's stronger than your God. Your God must be weaker. And guess what God did? Guess what God did? He did it. He did nothing. And Zechariah would have been a little boy taking this in. And not only that, but but... Zechariah and Elizabeth are living during the time of Herod, king of Judea. We talked about him last week. He was cruel. He was mean. He was paranoid. He was vindictive. He was unpredictable. Someone once said this, that it was better to be a pig than to be Herod's son. Remember, he's the one that eventually is going to order the killing of baby boys just to make sure there's no king to threaten his throne. See, this is a dark time politically and culturally. It's amazing to me that their devotion didn't waver during this time. It can be really, really hard to be a mouthpiece for God during a time like this. But it wasn't just that. They kept going, not just in the middle of political and cultural chaos, but they kept going, guys, listen to this, when God seemed silent, 
Yeah, Zechariah is a priest and he and Elizabeth are living with this devotion to God at a time when God seems silent. It had been almost 400 years since God, through the prophet Malachi, had anything to say. And it was almost like the curtain dropped and God went on sabbatical. It was like God wasn't around. It was like God wasn't doing anything. And so in the middle of this political chaos, this cultural upheaval, in the middle of this spiritual silence, felt like God was saying nothing, they continued to be devoted. But that wasn't all. There was something else. They were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. <clears throat> they kept going in the middle of spiritual silence and political chaos, cultural upheaval, but this one really grabs me. They kept going in the middle of their own personal disappointment. Can you, can you for a minute do this for me? Can you let the people of the Bible be real? Can you imagine Zachariah and Elizabeth newly married, dreaming of a family, praying for a family, picking out names, preparing a nursery, watching their friends start a family, and year after year went by, and guess what? No family. And now they were old, and guess what? No children. Now, this would have had a great social stigma in their day. Um, the majority of time, the woman would have been seen to be at fault. It was almost like people would look at her as though a curse was pronounced on her. Maybe she had some sin in her life that she couldn't have kids. Can you imagine the social disgrace, the embarrassment, the, the personal heartbreak? We're obeying God and it doesn't seem to be paying off. The culture is going to hell in a handbasket. God, it doesn't feel like you're saying anything. It's been 400 years and, and we're trying to endure our own personal disappointment. Can anyone out there relate? I heard it said this way one time, it's real easy to get a case of the whys and the what ifs. You ever had the case of the whys? God, why do I keep giving? Why do I keep obeying? Why do I keep waiting? Why do I keep missing out? Why am I not moving in with him or her? Why? And what if? What if this isn't really true? What if God doesn't show up? What if God isn't who he says he is? No one <clears throat> would blame them if they had a case of the whys or even a case of the what ifs. Yet they kept going in the middle of their own personal disappointment, political chaos, cultural upheaval, and apparent spiritual silence. Look what happens next. Once, when Zachariah's division, remember he's a priest, was on duty. He's serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now you need to understand something. The priests were split into two divisions. And this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. His division would have been in Jerusalem serving. And it would have been like a one in two, maybe 20,000 chance for him to be picked of, to, to do this particular thing. But, but he would have been picked to go in and burn the incense. He would have been picked to go into the Holy of Holies, the same place he as a kid would have seen Pompeii go. He would burn the incense evening and morning. He's doing his priestly duty. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, everybody, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. And look at what happens. He's in there. He's in there by himself. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Let me just ask you, just stop for a minute. You ever been somewhere, a big building, where it's all, you're all alone, and all of a sudden somebody shows up? <laughs> what happens? Like, it freaks you out, doesn't it? It does, with me. 
In fact, one of the things I love doing here at the church building, big building, I love when Pastor Aiden's here by himself. I love to, when he doesn't know anybody else is in here, just kind of show up in the room. And he looks up and like, wah, right? He ain't seeing no angel, but he's scared. You see, when Zachariah saw him, here's what it says. He was startled and he was gripped with fear. Why? Because that's what you do when an angel shows up. You're gripped with fear. You ever seen an angel? Raise your hand, you ever seen an angel? <laughs> I have people all the time telling me they've seen an angel, and I'm always a little skeptical. I'm just going to be honest with you, if you ever share your story with me. I'm always a little skeptical. I always ask, tell me what it looked like. Tell me where it was at. You know, tell me about your experience. But I'm always a little skeptical because I'm not easily convinced that people who tell me they see an angel saw a Bible angel because Bible angels seem to be big, shiny guys who, when they appear, they say things like this. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar. And when he saw him, he was gripped with fear. And so the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Why? Because he knew that Zechariah would be afraid. Usually when a big Bible angel shows up to you, you're afraid. But the angel goes on to say, your prayer has been heard. Circle that in your Bibles. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you're to call him John. Just a little trivia, John means Yahweh has been gracious. God has been gracious. You're to call your child, God has been gracious. He'll be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine. This is a Nazarite vow or ferment and drink and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. I got big plans for your son, Zachariah. Well then, the angel goes on. He'll bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord. He says, and he'll go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of, of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, here's the deal. You and I can, like the angel had this to say, and we're still focused on the fact angel showed up, this guy in the middle of church, he thought he was by himself. He's scared and he is. But what the angel has to say to him, we read right past. We're like, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting trivia to know. And But but but, but I don't think Zachariah would have just sniffed at that. I kind of wonder when the angel said this, if all of a sudden dots would have connected for Zachariah. Because what the angel says to him would have been something that Zechariah would have remembered with some of the last words that God spoke to the prophet Malachi. Look at what he says, Malachi chapter four. You don't need to turn there, just look what he says. Here's what it says. <clears throat> See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. It's as though the curtain lifted right where Malachi left it off. And he said, Zechariah, your son is that guy. Whoa. 400 years have passed. The curtain lifts. Bam. You're in the right place at the right time. You're my guy. Your son is going to be the one that I prophesied about. Name him John, which says God has been gracious. Well, what's interesting, Zechariah asked a question. I, makes the Bible real to me. He says, how can I be sure of this? Now, <clears throat> you might be tempted to say, as you read this, uh, maybe because a Bible angel told you so. <laughs> I don't know. Like a Bible angel shows up and tells you, it's like maybe. But I love the fact that he asked this question. And I love the fact that the Bible writers put this in the Bible. It makes the Bible more credible to me. 
people didn't just blindly. It was like, how do I know this is going to happen? How can I be sure of this? And then he says this. I love this. He says, I'm an old man. Uh, A lot of commentators would say when he says that, that in their culture, an old man would have been somebody uh, over the age of 60. I don't like that so much, the closer I get to 60. But over the age of 60, that would have been after childbearing age. But then, Zechariah did not say that about his wife, did he? He's very diplomatic. Take a note, husbands. He says, I'm an old man, and well, she is well along in years. Good job, Zechariah. Bring some flowers with you when you come, right? Uh, And he says, we're old. We're past the age where this is even physically probable, if not possible. Well, the angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent. You'll not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. You see this? It's interesting. Zachariah is going to have a kid. How can I be sure of this? And, and he says, that, here's the deal. Yeah, I, I'm standing. I'm Gabriel. Gabriel's busy at Christmas. Do you notice that? We talked about him last week. But, but it's almost like Zachariah gets a bit of a time out here. He says, you wanted a sign? Now you're going to need to sign just to communicate. It's interesting. Look what happens. Meanwhile, the people outside, they're getting anxious. They're waiting for Zechariah. They're wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. They're like, did something happen to him? When he came out, he couldn't speak. So imagine that. He went in, he was able to speak. He went in, like, hey, guys, I'll be back in a little bit. He came back, he couldn't talk. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple. So what he did was he kept making signs to them, but he remained unable to speak. Guys, let the Bible, read it in color. Can you imagine? He went in, hey guys, seen a little bit. He came out, he couldn't speak. And he saw an angel in there, but he didn't just see an angel. The angel said to him, you're going to have the Malachi 4 guy. That's going to be your son. I know you're old, but you and Elizabeth in your old age are going to have a son and it's going to be the Malachi 4 guy. Can you imagine? How in the world is he going to sign this? Hey guys, imagine him signing. Big shiny angel, you know, I saw with my own eyes, Mm, can't speak. I mean, imagine him looking at Elizabeth saying, we going to have babies. She's like, get away from me, boy, right? I mean, I don't know. Like, how does this all play out? Fascinating. Well, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. The beginning of the first Christmas. Uh, By the way, at Christmas, there's two miraculous births. Did you know that? Two miraculous births. Uh, One that was by an older barren lady whose name is Elizabeth. The other by a young virgin gal whose name is Mary. Ordinary people in real ordeals waiting for God to show up, to speak up. Now, let's stop for a minute. Let's just stop. What a story. This is all the the prelude to the Christmas story. This is part of it. People that are waiting and wondering in the middle of silence, personal disappointment, upheaval. Let me ask you a question. Just raise your hand. How many of you, just raise your hand, how many of you are not very good at waiting? Come on. I mean, you're the one, right? Come on. You're the one who's in the express lane at, the, at Walmart and, 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 you, and you're waiting. You're like about five deep. And what are you doing? Come on. You're counting how many items the people in front of you have in their carts, aren't you? And you're upset if they got more than 12. 
or waiting in the doctor's office, or how many of you just love the blessed time you have waiting when the traffic is backed up? Oh, it just gives me great time to meditate, right? Not very many of us. We don't like to wait, and it makes us weary. And what happens in this story is we have people that are weary, weary people waiting for God to show up in the middle of cultural chaos, weary people waiting for God to show up in the middle of political upheaval, weary people waiting for God to speak up when he seems silent, weary people waiting for God to weigh in on their own personal disappointment. But they kept going. They kept going. Why? What's the secret? There are three things. I want you to write these down. Hopefully my voice will last, but I want you to write them down. I think the secret is this. The first thing we see is that a weary world can rejoice because God has not stopped paying attention to us. A a weary world can rejoice because God has not stopped paying attention to us. Do you see that in this story? Let me show you. Uh, Did you notice that Zechariah was a praying man? Did you notice that? They were people who prayed. No one could blame them or would blame them if they wondered if their prayers even mattered. No one would blame them. Would you? No one would blame them. I mean, was God even listening? I mean, how often do you think Zachariah and Elizabeth would have prayed for their nation? And it felt like nothing. I mean, how how many times do you think they would have prayed for a child? Disappointment. How frequent would they have prayed for God to show up and to speak up and nothing? Can I just talk to you for a minute? Isn't it easy to assume when God seems so silent and so quiet, it's easy to assume he's not listening, that he's disinterested, and maybe, just maybe, he quit paying attention. You can feel like our prayers are bouncing off the wall and that he ain't listening. And if he ain't listening, we're tempted, and I ain't talking. Anybody relating with me? You don't need to raise your hand. You know, you've been there. Do you know the Bible is full of people who prayed and encountered the apparent, the apparent silence of God? Read the book of Job. Like his life unravels and it's like, where's God? How about Abraham? The story of Abraham and Sarah kind of parallels Zachariah and Elizabeth. Uh, How about Mary and Martha? They were really, really good friends of Jesus and their brother is sick and they sent word to Jesus and he doesn't show up and it's like, what in the world? I mean, you ever pray and God just seems silent? I have. And, And you begin to wonder if he's not responding, maybe, just maybe he's not listening. Maybe he stopped paying attention. You see, here's what the story of Christmas tells us. Even if God is not responding the way you want him to, or maybe on the timetable you want him to, this obscure story about this priest and his wife, Zachariah and Elizabeth, reminds me that he is paying attention. You're saying, Dan, how do you get in that? I love what Gabriel, the angel, says to Zachariah. He says, I stand, say it with me, I stand in the presence of who? I stand in the presence of God. This reminds me of something about prayer. We've talked about it at our campus many times. And sometimes we can get this wrong, but we'll say it so often, hopefully, that that it'll begin to sink in. Prayer is first and foremost acknowledging. He didn't say, I stood. He says, I stand in the presence of God. Prayer is acknowledging the presence of God. God is here right now. Wherever you're watching this, he's here right now. You don't have to ask him, God, please show up. Please come, he's here. 
And prayer is acknowledging the presence of God. That's what it is. It's first and foremost acknowledging the God who's paying attention right now. The question is, not is God paying attention to me, but the question is, am I paying attention to the God who's present and paying attention to me right now? You see, Gabriel made it a point to tell Zechariah that his prayers had been heard. And he also makes it a point to tell Zechariah and call him by his name. Do you see that? He says, don't be afraid. And then he says, Zechariah. He could have said, just don't be afraid. But he says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Do you know why he did that? you have any idea? Because he wanted to remind Zechariah of what his name meant. Do you know what Zechariah means? God remembers me. God remembers me. As if to remind him that God's silence should never be confused with his absence. When God seems silent, I can trust his presence. You ought to write that down somewhere. When God seems silent in my life, I can trust his presence. And he calls me by name, God remembers me. Do you think he would have ever been tempted to think God had forgotten him? I bet he did. I bet you have. Stopped listening to him? I bet he did. I bet you have. Do you think he ever been tempted to think God stopped paying attention? I bet he did, and I bet you have. Sometimes God seems silent, but sometimes in that silence, he seems very inactive to us, and we can become weary. We, we get weary going on because it can feel like he quit going on with us. If it felt like maybe he stopped, maybe like he's on a sabbatical. Zachariah and his people could have easily felt that way. As far as they knew, the curtain came down 400 years ago in silence. God, 400 years of silence and inactivity. Because from what they could see, from their vantage point, God had been silent and inactive. But had he? You see, when Malachi prophesied, he would have been contemporary of the guys who rebuilt the wall in the temple. From that time on, you have stories, some fascinating stories called the intertestamental period. The intertestamental period. Now, I love that period of history. Now, one of the reasons I love it is there's some fascinating stories. The second reason I love it is when I was in college, I took that class in a winter term and I had to watch a long movie called Masada. And so we had to do that outside of class time. And I ended up watching that movie with one of my classmates whose name happened to be Jennifer. And the movie's like eight hours long. <laughs> and she happens to be my wife today. I love the intertestamental period, right? But during that time, God was active, even though no one could see what he was doing. You have the story of Alexander the Great, the Greek warrior and conqueror who Hellenized the world, brought in one system of language, one system of economy, all of a sudden setting the, the way for a common language, a common culture, for the gospel to be presented. Uh, you have this great Alexandrian library with, where, where you have the preservation of the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, you have the, the Romans who it looked like God had just checked out. And yet when they came, even with all their cruelty and all those things, they created this incredible road system where the gospel would be able to get traction. Such that when the curtain lifts in Luke 1, the stage is set for the arrival of Jesus. 
and Zechariah is in the right place in the Holy of Holies at the right time, ready for the next scene of what God is going to do. From the seat of human perspective, it looked like the play stopped. The story of God was in an intermission. But when you peeked behind the curtain, God was on the move, even though they couldn't see it, didn't understand it. Tells me something about a weary world and maybe your weary world. A weary world can rejoice this Christmas because Christmas tells us, this story tells us that God is working even when you don't see it. Sometimes it can feel that way in my life. It can feel like the curtains dropped, like God's done, the play's over, like he quit. You keep following, you keep listening, you keep trusting, you keep obeying. But it doesn't feel like he's doing anything. It's a fascinating passage I've shared with you many, many times that says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Because you know what my understanding is? It's the curtain. And when the curtain drops, I figure God's done. But behind the scenes, behind the curtain, God is active. He says, trust him, even though the curtain has dropped. He says, trust him, even though the curtain of personal disappointment blocks your understanding. Trust him, keep obeying him, even if the curtain of spiritual silence ignites more questions in your life than answers. Trust him, keep following him, even when the curtain of cultural chaos makes it look like God is on sabbatical. Trust him with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take because he's working behind the scenes behind the curtain of your understanding. You see, many times the curtain drops. And I remember standing in the parking lot when our church caught on fire. When our building caught on fire, it was the, the same day I was supposed to present this vision uh, for the next three years to the leaders of the church. And I remember standing out there and thinking, oh my, God, what? This is very inconvenient. And yet when you look back, that's been over 10 years ago. The last 10 years, our inconvenience was God's opportunity to do things that we could have never dreamed in, in, a, in a million years. We now have eight campuses. God has, um, over the last 10 years, 480-some people have been baptized who said yes to Jesus, whose lives transformed. Our inconvenience, God's opportunity. I remember as a young college boy, sitting in the car with my then-girlfriend, who I thought I was going to marry, and I remember telling her how I knew God was calling me to be a pastor. And that I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure that, that, that I would make a lot of money or that I would anything like that. And she looked at me and she says, I can't do that. And she broke up with me on the spot. And I remember the curtain dropped, personal disappointment. And I remember thinking, what, God, you got to be kidding me. I just spent the last however long dating her. And you see, my disappointment when the curtain dropped, God was doing a work. And I'm so glad, I'm so glad she broke up with me. I'm so glad she broke up with me because I'm now married to the most wonderful, wonderful human being who's taken this journey with me, Jennifer. You see, many times the curtain drops and we're like, he says, keep trusting, keep following, keep obeying. Zachariah asked a question and he says this, he says, how can I be sure the angel says, because God sent me to tell you, which tells me something else about a weary world. A weary world can rejoice because God always, always keeps his word. I wonder if at that point, Zachariah's wife's name would have popped into his mind. Zachariah's name means God remembers me. Do you know what Elizabeth means? 
Elizabeth means this, God is faithful and will always keep his promises. Isn't that awesome? Can you imagine, I love this, can you imagine the two of them saying good morning to each other over a cup of coffee? Good morning, God remembers you. Well, good morning to you, God is faithful and will always keep his promises. I love that, right? The point is this, guys, that you and I can count on God to be faithful and always keep his promises. Isn't it true that God sometimes seems silent and we can doubt whether he will really do what he says. The secret to going on, honestly, the secret to going on when weary and waiting is to believe and trust and know that God is faithful and always keeps his word. I'm going to count on him to be faithful to what he said. And you know what that means? That means several things. You ought to write these down. That means three things. If, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna count on him to always keep his word, then I gotta know what he said. I think when God told Zechariah what was going on, I believe Zechariah connected the dots to Malachi 4. He knew what God said. And I think it made sense to him. My son's gonna be Malachi 4 guy? You're kidding me. I hear a lot of people say to me as a pastor, they can't hear God in their life right now. Here's what I want to say to you. Maybe that's you. When I can't hear what he's saying now, I need to lean into what he's already said. You ever have a misunderstanding with your wife or your husband? Like, they don't show up at a particular time. Like, where were you? How's come you weren't home at this time? We've had these misunderstandings. Like, where were you? And, And you say, well, did you read my text? No, I didn't know you sent a text. <laughs> well, if you had read my text, you would know where I was at. I think the same thing's true with God. I think some of us are going to get to heaven someday, and he's like, did you read my text? You kept saying, where was I? What was I doing? Sometimes our fears, worries, and even our discouragements can be subsided by listening to what he already said. I love this passage, <clears throat> Romans 15. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement. So knowing what he said, that's what's going to encourage us and give us hope as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Let me, can I ask you a question? Let me just ask you a question. What are you doing right now? What are you doing right now? No, seriously, this isn't like, what are you doing? Just, you don't have to answer out loud. What are you doing right now to know what he already said in his word? What are you doing right now? See, I count on what he said. I got to know what he said. For some of us, we know what he said, but we jump the gun and we take matters into our own hands. If we're honest, it's because sometimes we have the problem Zechariah, I think, had. We think God is too small. I think Zechariah had God in a little bit of a box, don't you? He says, I'm an old man. My wife, uh, she's well along in years. We're beyond the age where it's probable, if not possible, to have kids. That makes sense. If I'm going to count on him to be faithful to what he says, it means not only am I going to need to know what he said, but I, I got to believe he's able. How big is your God? No, seriously. Like, how big is your God? Makes me think of the passage as it goes on that includes Mary. When the angel, same angel, comes to Mary, he says... She's going to give birth. She says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? The angel says, Holy Spirit's going to come on you. Power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born to you, we called, we talked about this last week, Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. 
for no word from God will ever fail. Or I love the way the King James Version puts it, for with God, nothing will be impossible. I love that. For some of us, the reason we struggle is our God's too small. Like we put him in a box. He's like the granddaddy upstairs. We hope he can come through, but we're not sure. See, I got to know what he says, and then I got to let God out of the box. We did a series on this. We talked about this a few months ago. That God's bigger than you think he is right now. I promise you. He's bigger than what you think he is. And so Zechariah had him in a box. And you and I many times have him in a box. For some of us, it isn't that God is too small. We think he's able. The problem is we think his timing's way off. Can I get an amen on that? Anybody think? Yeah, yeah I love what he says to Zechariah. He says, my words, which will come true, read this out loud, at their appointed, what? Time. Yeah, it tells me something about a weary world. And uh, I got to know what he said. I got to believe he's able. And, and then I got to trust his timing. And you could add to that. I got to trust his time is perfect. You see, the God who's working behind the scenes right now is paying attention to me is the same God I can count on to keep his word. And he is a sovereign God and his timing is impeccable always. Always. A weary world rejoices because God is always on time paying attention to me. He's working even when I don't understand it and the curtain of my understanding has dropped. And nowhere is that clear. Guys, listen, lean in, we're done. Nowhere is that clearer than the message of Christmas. Do you know what Galatians says? Galatians chapter four says, but when the right time came, not a moment before, not a moment after, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. You see, the fact of the matter is you cannot judge God by your calendar. Tim Keller says, don't judge God by your calendar. God appears to be slow, but he never forgets his promises. He may seem to be working very slowly or even forgetting his promises, but when his promises come true, and they will come true, he says, they always seem to burst the banks of what you imagined. See, Christmas tells us a weary world can rejoice because God's paying attention to us and he's working even when the curtain of our understanding is dropped and he will always do what he says. So where does that leave us today, this Christmas? I can tell you this, when the world was dark and the shadow of a Roman cross loomed large and it appeared that God was silent and he wasn't doing anything to interfere with the grave injustice of the Roman powers that be, it was just at that time that the at the right time God showed up and was paying attention to us and he sent Jesus to do for us what we couldn't accomplish for ourselves. That's the good news of Christmas. The good news of Christmas is when God seemed silent at the cross of Jesus, he was speaking his loudest message. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's when the curtain of understanding of those standing around would have dropped that he was doing his most profound work. But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so the question becomes, have you said yes to what he did for you? Have you said yes to Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, and as your King? For some of you, you've said yes to Jesus, and 
The fact of the matter is it can be weary waiting, weary wondering. And maybe your question is the same as Zachariah's. How can I be sure of this? I love, I don't have it on the screen, but I love what Elizabeth's question. And maybe our question just needs to change. Maybe the question isn't, how can I be sure of this, God? But in verse 43, she asked this question, why am I so favored? And maybe the question in the weary wandering and the, 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 the worrying and the waiting isn't like, God, where and what? But how in the world did I ever become the object of your amazing grace? And, and maybe the implication of this story is this, that God gave to Zachariah and Elizabeth a son, and his name would pronounce John, which meant God is and has been gracious to us in very much the same way, guys. For those of us who've said yes to Jesus, we become a form of John the Baptist, where we have the opportunity in this weary world to be mouthpieces, to point to a God who is so gracious that he sent Jesus to die for us. A weary world can rejoice. God's paying attention. Nowhere is that more visible than the cross. God is working when it seems like the curtain of our understanding says he stopped. Nowhere is that more visible than the cross. And God will always keep his word. Nowhere is that more poignant than the cross. So God, thank you for the story of Christmas, the promise, the thrill of hope found in Jesus. And God, I thank you that you always keep your word, that you hear us, and that you're at work right now. Help us to trust you in the waiting. Help us to trust you in the wondering. Help us to trust you in the worrying. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.